Delighted there were no accidents, I hope. I haven't heard of any. It's always, always great. Uh, this morning, we want to have a word of prayer. Then I want to read the scripture from John 13, part two of our message last week. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it's so good to be here and see our church family in front of us. To hear that we got through the holidays with no accidents, no tragedies that we know of. Many returning from good family time and visits refreshing. But we thank you most of all that we come together as a family and we know you whom to know as life eternal. You have promised us life and that more abundantly in Christ Jesus. And in spite of pains and sorrows that all of us know. We've got that superabounding, superabundant joy, that peace that passes understanding in Christ Jesus. And we pray that if there are any here, and there always are, our Father, who do not know our Savior, that the Spirit of God may take his word and the gospel message and work it deep into their hearts and bring forth a conviction. They would be convinced and they would be converted. And know the joy in Christ that we know. We pray for those who are ailing, some in a very serious way, hurting in other ways emotionally. We pray for them. We pray for your peace, your grace, and that you may, uh, you may, our Father, give them a, a sense of your presence. We ask now that you would break you will bless the breaking of your word and it will benefit and profit us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Now I want to read the scriptures we pick up from where we left off last week in verse 21 of John 13. Get myself located here. Now when Jesus had said this, referring to his words just previous. We note, this is interesting, he became troubled in spirit and he testified and he said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you, one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another, wanting to know which one he was speaking of. There was reclining on Jesus' breast one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That's interesting. Thought he loved them all. What's that about? Simon Peter, therefore, gestured to him, to that disciple. And he said to him, Tell us who it is that he's talking about. He, leaning back on Jesus' breast, said to Jesus, Lord, who is it? Jesus therefore answered to him, not to the whole group, This is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, He took and he gave it to Judas. Now only John and Peter know. 
the son of Simon Iscariot. And after the morsel, this is something, Satan then entered into him. Jesus said to him, what do you do? Do quickly. Now, no one else of those reclining at the table knew for what he had, what purpose he had said this to him. Some were supposing because Judas had the money bag, he was the group treasurer, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things that we have need of for the feast, the Passover, or else they thought he was saying that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. Well, obviously. So how did John write that? As people were coming in this morning, and I was out here as I usually am, greeting everybody delightfully, for me at least, I don't know about them, uh, one of one of the members, not a member, but somebody who's been attending here, whom we shall not identify and didn't say anything wrong, but was talking about the condition of his wife, who's in a very bad way, and then gave me just a tad of his church history. Some of you, I expect, can relate. And... He said it had been kind of harsh. And he rattled off a few things and he said, he said uh, a lot of betrayals. That's a word I expect you and I know I can really relate to. Well, that's prominent in this passage. Right here in verse 21, I want you to notice something. But before I point it out to you, I want you to think about this. When it comes to the Lord Jesus, it's sometimes hard for us to get our minds around. Because on the one time, on the one hand, we think of him as the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity. That's correct. But then there's his humanity, which we memorialize at this season of the year. The Son of God, in a mystery we can never fully get our heads around, he entered the world as a human being. We call it the incarnation. Blended, not reduced in any way, blended his deity with full humanity. And so when it comes to Jesus, we've got to remember we're dealing with the God-man, not half man, not half God. We're dealing with one who in his own person, just like us, except without sin. Now what all this has to do with this verse, I'll show you. He was a sinless human being, but he had to be a human, sinless person, but he had to be a human being in order to die for our sins to live under the law and to go through all the stuff that we go through. 
And so we note in this passage, never forget that. Sometimes we think about putting Jesus on the cross. Now, I've said this many times. And we think there was some sort of divine anesthesia. The things that happened to him because he was also God in the flesh. Well, they didn't hit him. They didn't abuse him. They didn't rip him up the same way they rip us up. That's not true. He went through hell on earth. I'm oversimplifying it, but it's as if I like to say that the deity part of it, you can't do that, but it's as if you turned that switch off so that he could endure what he endured as a human being. Wow, that puts it in a different light. And all of a sudden, the man Jesus here is deeply grieved. He understood what was coming. That was the deity side. He saw it all. And yet here he was at this dinner. He had washed the disciples' feet. And there was one among that crew who was shortly going to do his dirty deed and betray Jesus. Jesus knew it, and there he saw it. And as a human being, I cannot imagine how that agonized his soul. All of a sudden, the foot washing and all of that was finished, a little speech that Jesus made just after that. It's still going on. We're breaking into the middle of it. But after that, it settled on the Lord's spirit. And in verse 21, when Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit. Everything was just bubbling up inside of him like acid reflux. And he testified he was bearing witness to his disciples. He wanted them to hear every word. Truly, truly. If you have the King James Version, it was a verily, verily. Anytime you see that in any of Jesus' remarks, put an accent point after it. He wants you to understand the truth of what he's saying. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you, one of you, one of the twelve, my closest associates, is going to betray me. That's, that's awful. Saw it all the time. He had even washed Jesus' feet. Given him every opportunity to repent, but no such thing. Well, that shocked the rest of the disciples. And Peter was over here and he leaned back on John. They were all reclining in the custom of the day. Who's he talking about? Ask him. John leaned back on the chest of Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm about to take a morsel in their custom of dinner and dip it in the sauce. And I'm going to give it to somebody. That's the one. 
He wanted the record to show. It's all very important. I'll try to help you see that. He says, the one that I give it to, that's the one. Now only three of them know. Of course, Judas. He dips it in the sauce and he hands the morsel to Judas. Jesus, verse 26, therefore answered, that is the one to whom I will give the morsel. And he gave it to him. When he dipped it, he took it and he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. There were two Judases. That's the reason it mentions the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, significant statement, Satan entered into Judas. Judas therefore said to them, what you're going to do, do quickly, letting Judas know, I know. I know you and I know what you're up to. And in a backward look, the disciples would always know. Why is that so important? All through these narratives, the Lord wants us to know, you and me. He wants the whole world to know and he wanted his disciples to know. History events were not in control of him. He's in control of all events. He's ahead of the game, always. So when it comes to the management of our lives, the sovereign, sovereign superintendence of the Spirit of God over our lives, just know he's ahead of the game. He knows before you know. He knows what you're thinking before you've even thought it, what you're going to think. We serve a God who's in control. He's not reacting to events down here. Oops, I didn't plan on that. I've got to change my approach here. Never any of that. Judas was always in his sights. He had picked Judas for this very evil work. He didn't make Judas evil. Judas had a slant. He had a turn of heart. He had a turn of mind that was in the wrong direction from the beginning. And as things played out, Jesus got more and more disillusioned. Jesus was not going to be that great Alexander figure riding in on a white charger with a great army behind him, overthrowing the Romans and, and being the new King David. He was the new David, but not in the sense at this time, this time around, that they envisioned. And when that didn't start to play out and he finally got the picture that Jesus was not going to do what Jesus wanted him to do and what the other disciples were kind of infected with, then he turned. He was sick of this game. And he was going to betray Jesus. Betray him for what? People don't really need a reason. I, uh, I know a lot of you a lot of you, even though I may not know the circumstances, but I know some of you. You've been betrayed. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's parents. Maybe it's children. Maybe it's a dear friend you thought was a friend. Somebody who just stabbed you in the back. And possibly you still have nightmares to this day. I do. 
Doesn't matter how many years ago it was. I do. And it's so hard. So hard. It's not as much these days as it used to be. But I would dread a wedding. Dread a funeral. And here they would come. I just say in my soul, Oh God, can I get through this day? Can I get through this event? When you know, I never, ever wronged that person. All I ever got was evil in return for good. Lies, lies, and more lies. But there were no lies. Many of you know, you've been through it. You're in business somewhere. You know what that's like. It's hard to go to work and look it in the face. Well, can you imagine the Lord Jesus? And here was this Judas. Jesus had done him nothing but good. Just recently washed his feet in the greatest act of humility other than dying for them that you would ever see. Wow. So if you're hurting... If any of you are bruised and beat up, and some of you have been bruised and beat up, maybe in a church somewhere, you just feel betrayed. You don't want to go back. That's a very human reaction. But but you just remember this. The Lord was betrayed in a way and at a level that you've never been. Don't ever think, Lord, you don't understand. He understands better than you can understand. So pick up, pick up your chin, get it off the floor, and don't go around the rest of your life saying, poor me. Everybody here is probably a poor me in some, direct, some level or another. So we got to go on, and our Lord did. It's an amazing thing. Now, beyond that, I want to talk about the shock of his disciples. It's not surprising. You would think, wouldn't you, that his disciples, especially John and Peter, who was so close to him, you would think when Jesus said, one among you is going to betray me. And all he meant by betraying him was betray where he was so his enemies couldn't get to him. Judas knew where his haunts were. There was nothing else to betray. There was no evil on the part of Judah. There was no subversive activity going on. You would think that if Jesus used that word of one of you, that some of them at least, Peter and John of all people who were so close to the Lord, you would think, wouldn't you? I knew it. I knew that turkey was up to no good. Not blame you, Judas. How could you think? You'd think they would know, wouldn't you? I remember when I was teaching at the seminary a hundred years ago, seems like that, that one day I was walking up the campus quadrangle there, kind of, I guess you'd call it that. I saw one of our faculty very highly thought of among the students, sitting with a, a student, 
nothing, nothing untoward about it, just sitting there talking or counseling with another male stu- student. I've kind of got a fifth sense about a lot of things. I tell Aussie I hate my intuitions. They're so often right. As I walked up the gangway there and I looked over there, there he was with his PhD, his University of Edinburgh doctorate. I said, I wonder if he's gay. Well, it wasn't long after that that I got a call asking me, I don't mean after that day, but maybe a month or two, I got a call from the president asking me if I could take over Dr. So-and-so's class. And I said, well, I'll find a way to do it. He said, well, there's a faculty meeting at 2 o'clock. So we all got together. He said, I'll explain it all to you. And the guy was facing 40 years for his activity with underage people at a big party downtown. I said, kind of knew that. Doesn't surprise me. Never heard it mentioned. Never heard any of it. But here, you would have thought that somebody would have smelled a rat. But they didn't. What that tells you is, I'm headed somewhere, believe me. What that tells us is that oftentimes these people who betray you, betray me, betray the church, betray something else, oftentimes they appear to be the best kind of people, the people you would usually not expect. And it just blows them away. Somewhere we were in a meeting the other day. I don't wear those elders. I've a lot of meetings. And uh, I was talking about when I first came to Lake, the damage lasts for years and years. They had a pretty good youth group, pretty good one. And the youth pastor turned out to be a philanderer. And it blew that youth thing to smithereens. When I got here, it was still kind of unfolding. And uh, those things are so, so damaging. Nobody ever guessed, I guess. Oftentimes, the people who betray you, betray him, betray her, betray a church, betray a business, oftentimes those people are the last people you would ever suspect. Well, there's a reason for that. I want to read it to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If they've got it up here, I'll read from up here, but if not, just bear with me. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He's talking about a, some people that that congregation in Corinth or any congregation should be alert to. He says in verse 13, for such men as he has been talking about 
are false apostles. They're pretenders. They're deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder. Now here's the explanation. An explanation for a Judas, explanation for a lot of people. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Go ahead. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants, get this, it should never surprise you when you get devastated by the revelation of something like this. It is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. Satan has a plan. He has a, he has a whole stable of people. And oftentimes he will insinuate into the mix of churches, into the mix of Christian institutions. Oftentimes they're not the obvious. They're very charming. Men or women, they may be nice looking. Everybody think the world of them. And then all of a sudden they turn out to be a Judas type of some sort. Everybody is blown away. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Well, we understand that. But I say for your protection as a congregation, you can be surprised, but don't get your pins knocked out from under you when that happens. It is a project, a constant project, and we see it all the time, of Satan to insinuate Judas's and that type, that destructive type, into the midst of a congregation. And then like a hand grenade at a certain point, he'll just pull the pin and everybody will be shocked. Well, don't go running away. Don't quit. The Judas stuff happens. It always has happened. And it always will happen. And God's in control of it. And he's got, they play a part, though we don't always see it, in what God is doing. So, That shock to his disciples was surprising, but don't let it surprise you too much. We always weep when someone we thought was surely a dear brother or a dear sister in the Lord turns out to be another Judas. But my point is to you, we should never be surprised when such things do happen. Now, there's another thing that is very, very interesting here. I think so. I think you will. So he took the sop and he gave it to Judas. And after the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus says, what you do, do quickly. But this other thing, before I get to that, I got a little out of order here, but you can shoot me for that afterward. This thing with Judas, they were wanting to know who on earth would do such a thing. And would you notice up here that it says about John that the one whom Jesus loved, there were 12 apostles. We know it was John from, I don't have time to show you, but there's a whole litany of scriptures that show us that it was John the Apostle, the one who wrote this book, who is described as the one whom Jesus loved. There's a very practical point here for every one of us. Well, doesn't he love us all? We think of love as something like water in a glass. That if I love 
you and you and you and you, that it's got to be like water in a glass, all comes up to the same level. There's something deficient, isn't there? If it's not that way with everybody, remember here we're talking about the humanity of Jesus. And on the human level, Jesus connected with John the Apostle. Really connected with him. That's why at the foot of the cross, even as he was dying in agony, he looked down at John and he said about Mary, that's your mother. And he did from now on. Well, let's understand something. I wonder if it discourages you that when you think of love, by this all men shall know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. The problem is we think of it oftentimes as an emotion, love. And that's where we run a little off the rails. And we think, I can't. He's a turkey. <laughs> I can't help it, Pastor. That guy is really hard to like. That woman just aggravates my soul. By this, all men shall know that you are my disciples. You love her. Or you love it. It almost makes my head break. Okay, here's just idealism. I can't deal with it. This kind of idealism. I can't love everybody. Some of these people drive me crazy. Every pastor on earth could say that. And a lot of people could say that about their pastor. You know, the guy drives me nuts. So what about that? Jesus loved John in a way that he was not that closely connected with necessarily all the others. There was a special thing between them. We've all had that. Don't get discouraged. What did Jesus do at the end? Whose feet did he wash? John's? He washed all their feet. Who did he care for all along the way? Every one of them. Who did he die for? Every one of them. You know, we've got to understand that love doesn't mean pity patter, pity patter. You know, when I say, ooh, I just love them. They're just the best people. Oh, I'm so glad to see them. It doesn't mean, it means you die for them. It means you do what is right. If they're hungry, you feed them. If they're in the cold, you give them shelter. It means you do what's right. It means you are self-sacrificing toward that person like the Lord Jesus was. You care about what happens to them. That's what love means. Don't begin to think that love is such a high target that because you don't go, oh, I just love them, that that means it's an ideal. You don't chase it any longer. It means that we do what Jesus did. 
you die for them. I remember a pastor in Arkansas that uh, I'm, it's been 20 years at least since I've even heard from him, but I remember he said one time, talking to another pastor, he said, uh, I uh, said to this pastor, he says, I just love my people. And the pastor says, what happens on a day when you find out they don't love you? That's when it gets hard. And you still, I'm applying it to the past, that's my role. You still love them. You still care for them. You still visit the sick. You'd still do what you ought to do for Christ's sake. Don't think of it as an ideal that's unattainable. It's not in that way. To have emotion, to have that kind of affection for everybody, is not the same. There was a special affinity, and we have those people with whom there's a special affinity. You haven't seen them for 30 years, and you run into them at an airport or wherever, and it's just like you've never gone. You know, it's hug, it's a handshake, it's all of that. We just picked up where we left off yesterday. It's an amazing thing. You won't have more of those kinds of friends than one hand can count with the day you die. They're special. They're special. So don't expect that too much. But everybody here deserves our care. Everybody here deserves our forgiveness. Everybody here deserves our embrace in Christ. Everybody deserves that. We care about them. We care about what happens to them. We sometimes don't care for the things they say. We sometimes don't care for the things they do. We want to kick them in the hiney. You know, things like you may not, but I do. And I don't have much of that to deal with. I've had a lot of it in the past. But yeah, but we rise up for Christ's sake and we do for them what the Lord would have done for them. Always strikes me when I read that about John. Don't feel inferior. There are degrees of brotherly affection, but that's no failure necessarily of love. Well, Judas is identified. And then in verse 27, a scene of satanic takeover. And then Satan entered into his heart. Judas was there. The stuff had been playing out in his mind. He is wondering how he's going to deal with this. He was disillusioned with Jesus. But now there's a fatal step. A fatal step. And then the deal is sealed. There's a warning for Jim Andrews, and there's a warning for every one of us here in this audience. You can play around with ideas of sin. You can fantasize. Judas did his own kind of evil fantasy of betrayal. But there comes a time when you keep pushing it and you keep pushing it. You leave the door wide open for Satan. And he enters fully and evilly in the heart and he takes over. And now you're a captive. At this point, Judas was a captive. 
At this point, he was no longer in control of himself. At this point, it seems he could no longer pull back. That can happen. If you have some kind listen to me, if you have some kind of bitterness eating at your core, if you have something festering some in your heart and you just keep going with it, you have some kind of fantasy going in your heart. Satan will just sit by. He'll sit on that and then the egg will hatch and he'll enter into your heart and you're captive and you're gone. Deal with those things. You may have that. Somebody in this room, it's likely. It's not possible. It's likely that some of you have something eating at you, some resentment, some old score, and you still want to Settle it. You haven't done anything about it, but you still, you got your chance. (laughs) Satan will wait for that moment, and then he'll enter into your heart. And then there'll be one of those sad stories that'll play out. That'll hurt you and hurt others, hurt your family, all that kind of thing. Be very careful. If you see that stuff in your heart like Judas... You're maybe disillusioned about something. You're bitter about something. You're resentful about something. If none of you have any of that stuff in your hearts, you're a better man or woman than I am. You've got to pray about it. You just really got to pray about it. You remember that old man that I talked about with the last Sunday who came down some of you weren't here. Where were you? But I came down here, you know, when I was giving an invitation in my first church and asked me what size shoes did I wear. You remember that old guy? I had to pray constantly, constantly, that the Lord would help me to manage that bitterness. I had dreams for 10 years, 10 years after I left that church. It was the same dream. I had the dream we had steps you had to walk up to get to a platform to go in the door. But I met that old man. He wasn't nearly as old then as I am now. But I met him, and I could do it at the time. Grabbed him by the collar. Grabbed him by the collar and threw him off the steps into the street. I said, oh, man, don't you ever even think of coming in these doors again. I'd have that dream. But I had to pray and pray. What I'm suggesting to you, don't get to that point where Satan enters into your heart. Because if you let it go on and on, Satan will find that moment and you'll do something very stupid and very, very hurtful. And then Jesus had said to him, okay, guy, I know what you're up to. You're identified. You think this is all in secret. They didn't know what Jesus was saying to him. It was code between the two of them. He told him what you have to do, do quickly. And then John adds that little line. And it was dark. John writes like that. It's a French word for a double entendre. 
had two meanings. It was dark, but that was obvious. But he wrote it for another reason. When Judas went out, his world was dark. Satan had entered into his heart. Wouldn't have mattered if the sun was shining at high noon. It was dark where Jesus was going. It'll always become dark when Satan takes over. Certainly with Judas, his destiny was sealed on earth and eternity. He betrayed the Son of God. Be careful, folks. Be careful. We're all vulnerable. We're all human. We're all weak. And that includes you-know-who. We can all stumble. And sometimes we can make a mess of things and hurt everybody around us, wreck people around us. Don't let that ever be you. But you can't help being human until the Lord comes. You're a believer. You're born again. You've got new instincts. You've got a power that resides you that's an overcoming power. But you can't play with the flesh. So be careful about these things. Don't nurse wounds. Don't feed fantasies. Unless you want to run the risk of Satan entering in and taking over. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, we'd love for you to know him. And I want to urge you to acknowledge him as the Lord and Savior and let him come in and take over your life through his spirit. That's a decision that you can make. God has enabled you to make it. Don't wait on him to make the next move. Your move. Your move. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our Lord and Savior. We thank you for his example and for his exhortation. We thank you that you're in control. Nothing ever catches you by surprise. You never have to play catch up. You're on top of all things. So we pray that we'll humbly submit to you. We'll acknowledge that we're sinners and we need your salvation. That he came and he died for our sins. We pray the Spirit would move some to do that. We ask it in his name for your sake. Amen.